Early in life, Brad Dubbs was exposed to some of the best trumpet instructors in New Mexico. Through hard work and determination, he soon became a great trumpet player and a respected music educator. Come and enjoy this wonderful conversation. Brad Dubbs is next on OTP. All right. Good morning, Brad. How you doing? Good. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well, man. It's so good. I try to get some brass sound back there on the intro for you. <laughs> That's okay. That works. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being our first episode um, for OTP on the podium for the new year 2024. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Mark. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. All right, let's dive right in. Um, I always start with everyone about how they came to music, how they came to the instrument. What instrument do you play, and how did this all start? I play trumpet. And uh, when I was in the fourth grade, uh, our good friend, Kent Erickson, was going around to uh, classrooms and whatnot. And course not demonstrating everything i think he was probably just talking about joining band and oh, okay and uh as you know he's a trumpet player and played something and it just kind of lit the fire for me and it's funny because uh i was thinking about this we went out to dinner last night and uh i bump into randy harmio <laughs> who, who of course you know the harmio family yeah, and yeah. uh and I told him that I was going to meet with you today and, and be doing this. And in addition to Kent, um, starting at Flame right there, uh, in the interest of, of, of trumpet, I would go to my sister's concerts. Mm. Uh, she was in the band with Kent, and, and Randy was playing, of course. And he played some solo with the jazz band, and, and I just kind of fell in love with it right there. That That brings a question to me. Did you fall in love with the sound of the trumpet or the way it looked? What was it? Can you put your finger on it? Gosh, it's hard to remember. Um, <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> it's hard to remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, it was probably it was probably the sound. Yeah. You know, uh, it just was very to me, and and I I knew I wanted to give it a shot. Um, well, I, I'll, I'll talk about that later, but let me bring it up now real quick. Uh, a former parent of mine uh, about a week ago donated me a, a cornet. And, you know, as I was just playing around with it and uh, the tone and sound of it, I mean, our ears, all of us I've been talking to, have a sense of falling in with that timbre, the the tone of the instrument that we end up playing. And and so that resonated with you, yes? It did, definitely. And the more I played um, and, and was exposed to things and took some private lessons, especially when I was in high school and I started hearing more and more recordings of jazz players, I just, I, I was hooked. And, and yeah. Yeah. Pull me away. I know we might talk about this, but you know, when I was taking those lessons with, with Kent in high school, um, gosh, one of the best things he would do is just lend me uh, tapes yeah. or copy tapes of his for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the CD players came out and then would lend me CDs and things like that. And man, I tell you, uh, in addition to him lending me a bunch of the the Doc Severance and Tonight Show Band recordings. I wore those things out. I just could not get enough of that. And a couple of the early recordings that I purchased myself were, of course, Louis Armstrong, and um, there was an Al Hurt um, recording uh, that I got, and I and I just loved it. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. You, you know, you're right in line with my next question about. Kent was feeding you, you know, he was 
he was taking that spoon and feeding you the the sound of it, so to speak. And talk about the private lessons because the audience is, we have many different types of people that are listening and watching. How important was that to have those private lessons in those early, early times? Well, it was good. And I, I took uh, lessons from a handful of people in, um, in middle school. Um, Pancho Romero, who is a local educator, as you know, he owned a store here in town, um, his, his family store. And, and there was a couple of guys from the symphony that I took lessons from. And looking back on it, I'm sure I didn't practice what I was supposed to practice. <laughs> and, well, I know I did. Uh, <laughs> and, and I wish I could go back and, and do the things I was told. But even <laughs> and, and with Kent, um, there was something about it that um, just made me click with music and with the instrument. You know, as, as a young kid, I was involved with other things as well, um, like most kids are. With you know, I did little league and I played video games and things like that. And mm-hmm. tried to have, I you know, I, I watched massive amounts of TV, um, but uh, something um, just kind of kept drawing me back to playing the trumpet I, I feel like it was a it was something I was getting good at I fit mm-hmm. in with with those students um, mm-hmm. the other students in the program so um, you know thinking about all those things and and the lessons as well mm-hmm. I, I just think it, it was a community that was tailored for my needs yeah yeah did, um, uh, does your mom and dad or sister play an instrument? And no, nobody was really uh, musical. I have uh, a few cousins uh, that were involved with, with music. but And my sister, although she was in the program, uh, she didn't take it too seriously, as you probably know. <laughs> um, and uh, But mom and dad were, were never, um, you know, really musically inclined, but, but always supportive. Of, yeah. of the fact that that this is something I liked and that I loved, and and they're still supportive to this day. Right, you know, they they go to almost everything I'm playing at, and <laughs> um, numerous band concerts, as you can imagine. Right, with me right. conducting. So, yes. What uh, do you remember? At what point you're in high school now? Um, you're taking lessons. You're, like you said, you're feeling like this is something you're getting better at. Do you remember at one, what point in your early part of your development that you felt like, you know, I, I think I might like to go into this as a career or go forward with it and get serious? Well, I was having so many uh, positive experiences those first couple of years of high school with our band mm-hmm. program. Uh, Gary Schaller was a band director of mine. and. He's now a professor uh, and, and a band director at uh, Western Kentucky University. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just having so many amazing experiences that by the time I realized that um, my desire to possibly become an architect uh, may not um happened because of the fact that my math grades were in the toilet. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And I just thought, uh, well, here's, here, here's something that, that I think I might be good at. And, and I was having all these great experiences. And um, in addition to being in that program, our good friend, Bruce Dalby, um, mm-hmm. you know, he would, come in and um, uh, help our help our group out and I was really interested in in everything he was doing at UNM and and I just basically those those guys became my idols yes and, and that was something that I, I wanted to I knew I wanted to, to do 
for the rest of my life. Yeah, they they became. I'm I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I guess I am. Maybe from teacher to mentor. And, but let me ask you, beg the question here that if you had not been playing as well as you were, do you think you would have still gone in that direction? I mean, let, I mean, you were playing, you were a good player. If you were struggling, do you think you would have said, oh, you know, I think I'll let this go? I mean, hypothetically think I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. And I wouldn't put myself in that category back then as a great player. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I tried to be as, as good as I, as I could. And I had so many, uh, so many friends at the time and in different band programs mm. that were involved in music. And we, we kind of uh, fed off of each other's uh, musical ideas and interests. Yeah. And um, so it's hard to, it's hard to say whether or not, the career path would have been different if, if the skill level maybe weren't where, where it was at the time. Mm -hmm. But, but I do think, you know, I have to mention and, um, that those friends of mine were such a massive influence on me. Yes. Some of those yeah. you probably know. Yeah. 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 When you have, we all know as educators that when you have your friends have a huge impact on how we all go, whether it's negative or positive. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, uh, okay. So now you're coming out of high school. You got to make a decision. You said uh, architect wasn't a good idea <laughs> with the math and everything. So you, what college did you end up going to? Well, I went to the university of New Mexico, um, you know, going through high school, I had heard stories of the of the great uh, North Texas band program, and it, especially the, the one o'clock lab band. And yes. you know, in two two things, just in having some conversations, I think with with some directors and educators, and then also coming to the realization that um, my parents weren't made out of money. <laughs> um, I was gonna probably need to stay pretty close, which is yeah. fine. Um, at the time, I, um, you know, I know New Mexico State also had shown an interest in in, in my playing and my interest in music, but I, I did have a lot of connections at UNM, and um, and so I I ended up uh, going to UNM and had an amazing experience. Great, that's great. Did you at this point know? that you wanted to uh, go into music education or just performance or jazz instruction? How did that work? No, I was, I was pretty dead set on, on, on doing music education. Again, mm -hmm. having those experiences that I had and, and wanting to, I guess, um, offer those experiences to, to students was, was something I was, I was always interested in. You know, I, I enjoyed playing. There was, there was, I think jazz was probably a, a stronger um, suited genre for me in terms of playing. And then, of course, I started figuring out how to play um, high notes on the trumpet. And, yeah. and man, that was <laughs> so much fun being in all the groups at UNM doing that. But, you know, I, I was still in the classical ensembles. Um, as well, but but all along the way, I, I did have this focus of of being a music educator, and mm -hmm. and all of my uh, my teachers down there at the time, who I consider my some of my closest mentors, uh, helped guide me down that path in, mm -hmm. in the things I needed to learn. My my band director Eric Rombach Kendall, um, he. Um, he really paved the way for um, a lot of people in, sure. in, in the sense that he understood the path in which some students wanted to go. He, he knew 
that not everybody was was going to go on and get a master's and a doctorate or try out for the president's own marine band or yeah. <laughs> or something like that. But he did know that some of us w w wanted to be educators, and we did have those um, those options and, and possibilities, I should say, of getting up on the podium in rehearsals. Um, he and Glenn Atzid both did that and, mm -hmm. and would help us with, with conducting styles and, and um, problem solving. Um, sure. What, you know, present uh, hypothetical um, educational situations for right. us mm -hmm. and then see at the time the way we would react and, um, and then offer suggestions. You know, right, right. Bruce Dalby and Glenn Coster were extremely instrumental in that as well. Mm -hmm. I, I can't thank them enough for, for what they yeah. did. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I made a note here. I wanted to go back before we dive into the education side of it. You talked about you navigated toward the jazz side of the music. And I find that really interesting as I've talked to so many of these musicians on the show, what, what takes us into this area on a certain type of music, which ultimately we end up, some of us making career choices because of this. And um, goes back to a sax uh, gentleman I talked to who was a classical saxophonist, but um, has gone into the Navy. You were really navigating toward that jazz area, but you were also playing the classical. Did you have a kind of a split personality? How did that work in your mind? Or did were you were you thinking I really need to learn more on the classical end? What was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, I mean, I always kind of knew where my strengths and weaknesses are, and I mm. I still do, and I'm and I'm work I'm trying to continue to work on those to this day. Mm. You know, um, uh, I, in working with all the teachers that I had, you know, Jeff Piper was my trumpet teacher, but I, I did at the time still take some lessons with some other people um, mm -hmm. because I was just trying to soak in everything that I could and make my basic skills on the instrument as strong as they could be. Um, mm -hmm. you know, work on all the classical material that everybody else was trying to do. Um, you know, it, it was obvious to me that, uh, you know, I wasn't, destined to, to go in on an orchestra audition or um, something along those lines. I was just trying to get better on the instrument yeah. from every angle that I possibly could. Right. And, and I still have that fire to this day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just, I can't get enough practice time. Um, yes. And it's, And, it, and it's fun because it can it, it helps me continue the journey of learning. Boy, that's powerful um, because you made me think of so many of us, or some of us, I would imagine, and I know I have gone through this. As I've gotten older, my practicing started to go down, and then it would come up and disappear. <laughs> you know, and that passion that you have and still continue to have it has the flame has gone dimmed at times you know and so that's that's a really um wonderful thing to hear now you went you you come out of U UNM and where did you start teaching at first well as I was finishing UNM uh I I had this I had an experience of seeing a band program that came down to a local marching competition from Colorado mm. and it just blew everybody's mind. What band, uh, what, what band was, it? I think I know. This is Pomona high school. Pomona. Okay. Yeah. And it's a, a little outside of uh, uh, Denver mm -hmm. and, and Arvada. And I mean, 
it was just jaw dropping how crazy good they were. And in talking with one of my band directors at the time, Glenn Atsit, uh, he did have some connections with the gentleman up there and with a little bit of arm twisting to uh, Bruce Dalby and, and some other people in the department, they allowed me to go do my student teaching up in Denver for um, oh. about four or five months. Yeah. So fast forward, I, I get past the student student teaching part and it gets time to that scary time to start applying for jobs. <laughs> and um, I remember there was not, there was really, uh, there was maybe one job available in Albuquerque at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ended up not getting, uh, not getting that job. There was not even a lot of jobs available uh, in the area at, at mm -hmm. the time. At the, at the time too, I was engaged um, to, to be married. And so I had some conversations with my, with my now wife about, places to, to look into to moving and that I, I, I liked the Denver area. Um, mm. Again, there was not a lot of um, uh, options open at that time up there. And in addition, one of the scary things too about that, uh, about that area at that time was that you were an instrumental music teacher. So some mm. of those band directors, um, or a lot of them were also the string teacher. Right. And that, a was not super appealing to me. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, a little nerve wracking that, that I just didn't have a lot of those skills. So uh -huh. I, I took some, uh, I, I did a job fair, I think that was mm -hmm. available up there and Clark County school district, which is Las Vegas, Nevada. And, um, I think it covers Laughlin as well. Mm. Uh, I went and did a general interview through them and, uh, and then down the road, um, several weeks later, after I had graduated, I got a call from a couple of those um, principals in, in that area asking if I wanted to come out and do an interview. Mm -hmm. So a good, a good friend of mine uh, at the time, Brian Downey, was, was looking uh, at that area as well. And so we went out and, and did some interviews, came back after the first one, and had gotten a call for another interview and shortly after I had accepted the chance to go out and interview for that second job, I was offered one of the first jobs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these, these offers kind of started coming in and, and at the time that area was just booming. Um, mm -hmm. So many uh, jobs opening up and, and, but the programs were enormous. Yeah. And, and so I, I made, I made the jump and, and the decision to, to, to move out there. Um, what year was this about? With my fiance, this was the fall of 1998. Mm -hmm. And um, I started at a middle school, six through eight. The school itself was over 2,000 kids. And the, band, and the band program was over 300. And, <laughs> and, you know, I remember... The principal asking me at the time in the interview just to see if I was I was nervous about that if if I had any reservations about it <laughs> I had no idea you know I was so cocky and confident <laughs> about the ability to do this and and man um, so I you know I, I didn't shy away from from the opportunity really? but boy it it hit me so hard in the face <laughs> Uh, teaching that many students, yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. What you know, I'm laughing because I, all of us that we have been in that situation know the feeling, know the feeling when first that bell rings, the kids come into the band room. There's organized chaos going on. You come out. And especially they're getting to know you, you're seeing these faces, you get on the podium, you know, and we've all been, <laughs> and it's like, boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was overwhelming. 
Uh, yeah. Honestly, uh, a lot of days. And if it weren't for, I had a, um, I had a mentor teacher out there who had taught for many, many years. And um, I would go to his school um, mm. after my day was done and basically tell him all my woes. <laughs> probably cry sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. it is a. I think teaching in general that first year, regardless of yes. what you teach, yes, such a smack in the face. Yeah, coming out of college, you know, my my biggest advice I would give, um, that I still give so many uh, students that are in college, just just to try to get in classrooms as much as possible. Right. I mean, all of that that book work and that theory stuff, and you know, teaching yeah. pedagogy is, is it's important. But right. there's but there's nothing like being with the students and being able to relate with students mm-hmm. and knowing what to expect. You know, here I'm coming from these um, very serious, intense um, uh, rehearsals in college, right. but it did not prepare me for what it's like teaching beginning band. The real world. You know, and I yeah. had, at that time, I had, uh, gosh, I had like 150 beginners spread in three, di- three different classes, and it—it's—it's it's indescribable. Was <laughs> I mean, you know, but yeah, yeah. For anybody who's never been through it, it's yeah. I—I'll share this one thing. My first year, I'm in front of the beginning band, and is about close to 70 some odd sixth graders with instruments down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, anyway, uh, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. And you talk about the orchestra. When I got the gig, they said, well, we need you to teach orchestra for the first three, four months. And uh, I took my sax into the, <laughs> to the, you know, room there, you know, but yeah, you're asked to do all of this stuff, and until you find your way, and it takes a while. Um, like you said, any any uh, subject matter to find who you are as a teacher, and um, and and I think probably being honest with yourself, like you were talking about finding a mentor. For me, when you mentioned that, um, the the gentleman in Florida. Steve Smiley, not Steve Smiley, that was here in Albuquerque, Fred Schmidt. Um, he was the guy that I he, we uh, teamed up with. But also when I got here was Bruce Dalby. And I learned so much from him just being able to, it was almost like a, a second student teaching experience for me to be his assistant at Manzano High School. So. Yeah, I I feel like every year, I, I you know, you learn more and more, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's like playing an instrument, you're, but with, with teaching, you're, you're learning more about, like, the decisions you made in previous years and what right. went well and what you screwed right. up on and those types of things. Yeah. But I got to say, in those early years, too, one of the biggest things that was really changed the way I taught was after we had our kid. It it was it right there, and that's it. Then you know, after being a parent, yep, it's not just you know you're not just teaching students, right? But you're teaching somebody's child. Well, how many times have I said that to Jared, our own son, and, and Justin? It made me a better teacher. Um, and a better person than when I became a father, that's for sure, a parent. So you're up there, and where do you, how long did you stay at uh, Pomona? Uh, I was at Pomona student teaching uh, for about four and a half months. Okay. I graduated from UNM in May of, uh, of 98. I moved out to Las Vegas, Nevada. I th- think on can't believe I can remember this <laughs> I think it was July 1st of 98 and we moved back f- 
from Las Vegas, Nevada on July 21st. What did I say? July 21st? Yeah. yeah. It was a year to the day we moved back to Albuquerque. Wow. So there you and, go. And a number of reasons, you know, we, we, we are very close to our families. Mm -hmm. uh, so we wanted to be back um, near them. My father-in-law at the time was, was very, very ill. And, um, and of course we wanted to be, close to him but, mm. but just in general we felt like this was home and and never regret it for one bit yeah and making yeah. that decision so i came back here and i was mm. fortunate to get a job at my uh, at the the school i went to middle school at um at jackson middle school and i taught there mm. for two years and uh continued that the journey there um do you do you like middle school or high school better? Which which one do you prefer? Well, a bunch of people have asked me because you know, as you know, I I, I recently made this decision that this school year to to go back to middle school, and as I was teaching high school and um, having great experiences, thing um, you know, ups and downs, but overall, I was I was really um, enjoying what I was doing. Somebody. I think somebody had asked me that or a couple people over the years if mm -hmm. I had liked both. I had never really disliked teaching middle school. Mm -hmm. um, it's just I left. I initially left middle school because I did have the itch to try to, you know, do the band director thing as a, at a high school level. Marching band? Mar I was all about wanting to do that and um, just kind of have that overall – yeah. rounded well-rounded program that i knew mm -hmm. um, from all my experiences um so uh, to, to answer your question i, I like both right um, there are but as you know there are some aspects of the job <laughs> the job itself that i like um, right. now better than others at this stage yeah. of my life sure but yeah. but kids are kids and yeah. you know and you just your, your responsibilities in, in what you're teaching them at different stages of their growth is it, it's just, it's different. And, um, uh, you know, you just uh, have to be prepared to help them through those stages. Yeah. We're talking to Brad Dubbs, a uh, musician and band director here in Albuquerque. I, I remember when you came to Jackson and uh, and then when you you went to Manzano High School and uh, started doing your job there and well I had a stop before there um, I was an assistant band director at Rio Rancho High School that's um, right is that's right remember okay isn't that where you brought um, uh, Maynard Ferguson it too? We do, yeah. I started this, went down this this rabbit hole of bringing in guest artists and, and whatnot. So we had Maynard Ferguson and his band as as, as a guest out there. That was great. Uh, the year after that, we had the Count Basie Orchestra. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, teaching out there with a gentleman named Kurt Schmidt was one of the absolute best things uh, mm. for my career because uh, I think we. We we got we made a good team, and I just learned a lot from him, not only about teaching, but right. um, how to be um, a good person. Yeah, right on, yeah. right on. So now, at this time, parallel, what's happening with your playing? Uh, you playing locally in town, or what? So when I graduated uh, high school, I was asked to do. Um, a uh, a gig with the Albuquerque Jazz Orchestra, which is a local big band mm -hmm. that a lot of my mentors I had when I was when I was a kid uh, were playing in. Again, Kent and Bruce Dalby and Bruce Crokin, mm -hmm. um, who Bruce was one my last high school band director that I had. And when when they asked me to play this gig, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, I mean, it was. <laughs> It's hard to, even, I mean, it's it's hard to describe how excited I was to have mm -hmm. that opportunity, but 
but they continued to to ask me to play and eventually i i became a regular member oh. of that band it's hard mm -hmm. to believe now that i've been playing <laughs> with that group now for 31 years <laughs> um and uh, of course, one of your former guests, John Sanks, he was in the band too. And mm -hmm. you know, throughout college, I was playing, uh, you know, Easter gigs at churches and things. Sure. Like that. Yeah. And um, but as as I was teaching here in town and and playing with those people, I did have some uh, some other opportunities that came up. Uh, you know, with when local artists would come through to casinos and and things right. like that. I. I got a call and um, been really fortunate to play with with some of those people, um, mm. and and then uh, play a couple of the musicals at the local um, very large concert hall here we have in, here in Albuquerque, uh, Pope Joy mm. Hall. Um, the tricky thing was, or, and it's, and still is with all of that is you know you're having a you have a regular job. Right. And, and you have your your daily life of like family, yeah, family. We gotta we gotta do this around the house. We gotta do that, and we right. you know the kids are growing up and stuff. But the, but the challenging thing was is, is keeping chops in shape. Yes, so I was trying to practice on the side as much as I could, or just maintenance, pretty much. Right. <laughs> I um, love that. I love that term. It meant yeah, maintenance. Wasn't really like. I wasn't breaking any new ground as a, you know, as an improviser and, and things, but I was yeah. just trying to keep my chops at a decent level. Um, boy, you hit a, a nerve with me on that because as my career started going, that's where my career faulted. I just did not keep the maintenance up. Yeah. And I think that's easy to do when you're playing middle school music and so forth. Um, I could feel and family. I could feel the um, the skills starting to leave me at times. So, yeah. um, let's. I want to talk a little bit about the your developing of your bands because uh, I think uh, audience, you know, people get on the podium and it sort of looks from the outside as a musician. And maybe as an audience member, you're just up there waving hand and it all comes together. The, especially students. Oh, well, they should know how to read the music. But can you give some of the ingredients that you need to know when you get on that podium as a music educator to make this downbeat happen at the concert? One of the things I've always thought is, is that just because somebody's a good musician, uh, <laughs> doesn't mean that they're destined to, to, to find their passion or, or their goal, their, their place in life as a, as a, as a band director or yeah. an orchestra director or whatever, you know, I, I've, it, so having said that, I, I think, I think that whoever is on the podium does have to be a good musician sure, and they have to have those skills, but getting kids to do to play, you know, I, I, I have like a, a recording in my head of, of what, whatever piece we're playing, like a professional, professional recording. And I tell this to kids all the time and I'm trying to relay what I'm hearing to them and then right. to get that out of them right. um, on their instrument. And I think, I don't know when it was, but, uh, you know, just trying to catch as many details as possible mm -hmm. uh, of, of what you're hearing is, is just so extremely important. I mean, I, I want, I've always wanted my bands to sound like the band on the recording. Right. And, you know, it's, we're, we're all humans and, and I tell them we're all going <laughs> to, we're all going to make mistakes and things like that. Right. But I just want to be as detail-oriented as possible with uh, with the kids when I'm on the podium. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, such a great way of putting it, details, because, you know, as we all know, we've all been kids. At, at that time, 
a lot of kids aren't worried about details. Maybe maybe don't even know how to spell the word. I know I didn't at the time. So uh, having a director to guide you about when you're doing on doing something at any chore, whether it's your homework, playing an instrument, playing football, what have you, details matter. You got to turn the electricity off before you start working. You know, <laughs> details matter. True. Yeah. So uh, that's a very good point. So um, I want to get back to your professional playing there uh, in AJO. You uh, you talked about playing. We have a clip here um, of you guys playing. Can you set that up for us? Um, for a number of years, we were playing at a local uh, restaurant here in town um, called the Cooperage. And... Um, uh, it was such a great opportunity for, for the band to play on a regular basis. We had only prior to that time had been playing a handful of times throughout the year. And, and then to finally have a, uh, a place to play on a regular basis was, was a treat. When COVID happened, unfortunately, the, the Cooper shut down. So now we're at a, at a different restaurant, um, or bar, I should say, um, playing but um i mean i just love playing with, with that group in general um i guess sometime my role my roles in that in that group change mm -hmm. and and often I, I will play some lead trumpet and, and sometimes i'll i'll take solos and things like that sometimes i'm just playing a a section part so i think this clip in general is is one of the times i've it's a, just a small part of a, of a tune we were playing. Uh, I think that the tune's featuring Lee Taylor, uh, who mm -hmm. you know pretty well, yeah. saxophone player. So this is um, um, Widow's Walk, I think. Oh. Okay, let's take a look. You're screaming like that uh, for, okay, first of all, you know, I'm just playing a B-flat concert on the cornet this week. <laughs> and I had this conversation with the trumpet guys sitting behind me at rehearsal last Tuesday. And Dolby talked about this in the podcast. I think it was, on, I would think it was on microphone, but I play sax. We have a read, <laughs> but what you guys do with your lip is just a minor miracle, insane, or you guys are saints. I mean, talk about that. What physicality for those that are, don't play an instrument on trumpet, what does it take? I mean, playing a brass instrument in general is, is um, it's a tasking um, activity. It it's, um, takes, uh, of course, practice, but it, it, it takes, you know, um, being smart and efficient with, with what you're doing with your, with your air and um, flexibility, um, just endless uh, amount of hours to, to hone those types of skills. And I, I tell you what, I still, I, I wish I had it figured out, but <laughs> God, I'm just constantly every day trying to figure out um, how to do it and, and make it easier and trumpet in particular and Dolby will say this and, and maybe he did it's it's a beast yeah, um, yeah. Um, 
even when you treat it right, it'll turn on you. <laughs> you know, you can sweet talk it all you want and, and uh, warm down and stuff. Just some days it just doesn't want to work. Well, at least for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to find out, of course, from all those professional players, um, what they do to, yeah. to make it easier for them. You know, it does cross over when you're playing sax or violin, these other things. The the elements, there are those elements that cross over. We never reach that area of perfection on our instrument. You're always trying to get better and find that one uh, trick that someone has, uh, like for sax, manipulation, different changes of the fingerings, um, just getting the combinations right, but also the um, the dexterity. So those, you know, I've had so many people ask that don't play an instrument, what is the easiest instrument to play? And my answer back has always been, well, the best way to answer that is, what is the easiest instrument to play wrong? And... <laughs> Usually, a lot of times, you know, it goes to me, the saxophone and the drums, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I just put that reed on there and blow. Trumpet and brass instruments, like you talked about, man, you put that up. A lot of people, you know, you get that in there and you're like, uh, no, just can't, because immediately you just air, you know. But, um, yeah, it's. It, once you, you go into the fact of trying to play and teach that instrument, you realize, wow, these guys, uh, well, you know, I don't know. What do you think about the double reeds? That's a that's a totally different animal. Yeah, don't get me started. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I even want to talk about that right yeah. now. But, but again, with the brass players, uh, you know, I tell my woodwind students that you know, you get tired playing flute and clarinet and saxophone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get tired here in your embouchure and, right. you know, your dexterity and your brain just thinking yeah. about stuff. But the brass, you know, in addition to getting tired here, we're pushing yeah. the metal on our face. Um, and, and that's just another element, you know. And I think yeah. every instrument, though, like you said, with percussion, it, uh, gosh, I've known percussionists just to have to stop playing because of um, yeah. developing either tendonitis yeah. or what, what, what it might be, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, once you see what people are doing with the, all the different instruments, um, before I let you go, uh, talk about to the audience about your relationship with your trumpet and the music and how it feels and how it has helped you through your life. We all have that connection. Why in the world do we do this, Brad? <laughs> Why do you put yourself through what you just talked about with the trumpet and the practicing? What is it about the music that has played in your life? I don't know. I, I think the, I think the biggest thing is, is that everybody's got to find something that soothes their soul, so to speak. Yeah, right on. You know, is, is healing to them, provides them some sort of um, comfort and um, passion for something. Yeah. You know, I, I love to, sh to share with, with audiences and things like that um, as much as any other musician. Um, I, I love to share with students. Um, with being a teacher, um, but personally with, with the trumpet, um, it's just something I, I can always come back to that, that, that I know I can still work on, um, skills. It's, it's a challenge. It, it, it feeds my, um, it feeds my life, uh, yeah. with a lot of, um, emotion. Right. I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but no, I feel you. It's, it's, it is a hard, it, it's sort of hard, hard question to answer, but I, <laughs> I, I just, um, it's the one thing that I, that I, I really want to keep improving on and, and that I, 
find a lot of healing with. Yes. That's a good word. I love that word of healing. I'm a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to be out there, right? And the soul, we all have to get fed. We eat in the morning. And I believe that all of us, any human being on this earth, we have all this in common. We we want to be loved. We want to have a connection. And for you, and, and I feel the same way, I've had this love-hate relationship with my saxophone since day one. <laughs> you know, when I didn't want to play it, but then I had to go back to it. And some people, you're right, find it with something else. Could be sewing, you know, could be swimming, sports, whatever. Right. You know, but... um but, you know, say something about this, Brad, because you know we're all getting up there in age. God bless Ron Lipka. Brothers and sisters that have, have left us, you can play till you leave this earth. You know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, man, I admired Ron so much. Yeah, man. For, he, he played to the end. Yeah. And... Doc Severinsen. Uh, oh. Well, Doc is still, he's still um, alive and going, but yeah. professionally, he, he sort of officially retired right. um, from playing. I'm sure he's got to be still getting his face on the horn at some yeah. point. Yeah. You know, it's going to be something that, I, I think it's something that, that sticks with you. You know, music, music sticks with you. And, um, it's, it's the one constant, I think, that so many people can have in their lives and, right. that, and, and a great way we can all communicate with each other. Right on. Well, that's a great way to put a bow on it. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, Brad. I, I've enjoyed it. We've known each other for a long time. Mark, I can't thank you enough, and um, I, I applaud everything that you continue to do since you've retired teaching. Um, I walked out of the room the other night and I told Kim, I said, um, you still continue to be one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> I'll put a check in the mail for you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks man. I love you. Give, I love you too, man. Give a big hug to Kim for us. You're a wonderful family. Okay. And, um, we want to thank all the, uh, people, audience listening and, and, watching this podcast, OTP on the podium with Brad Dubbs. Uh, you hear him around Albuquerque, around the country, go by and listen to him. And find this podcast on all your podcast platforms. Until next time, keep playing the right notes. You've been listening to The Podium. If you would like to be a guest on The Podium, email the show at onthepodium2 at gmail.com. That's O N. T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-M-T-O-O at gmail.com.